<laughs> so how's it been, man? Uh, have we started yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Why has why it been good? What, what's been going on? Well, it's good and bad, actually. Um, start, having a startup is a learning process. Uh, it can be a right pain in the ass a lot of times. But there are moments of fulfillment and satisfaction as well. Yeah. Like, like meeting up with people, uh, having a, a nice team, a good team, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see, did you ever imagine that you could be doing this? Um, or was it just, just happened way too fast? You know, I I never saw myself as a like businessman tycoon type, right? Like like oh, this is what I want to be. I want to have a billion bucks in my bank account. But I think the what the internet revolution has done is promote this idea of a startup. So that actually the the idea of a startup, I mean, regardless of the unicorns, right? Of which there are very few. But a startup actually allows you to chase your dreams, you know, and that was kind of at the back of my mind. I, I wanted to disrupt the investment scene in some way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, if, if you didn't want to be rich or, or billionaire. Not that I didn't want to be rich. I mean, you don't have you to be a. You, you don't need to be a billionaire to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> John Vogel, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. John John Vogel was worth about eighty million US dollars. I mean, he's not poor, but he's not a billionaire. Frank, yes, yeah, yeah, the the father of uh, low cost funds. Yeah. Um, okay, let's start at the start. Okay. Um, you were an eye banker, right? I was. Yes. It sounds like a dirty word now, but it wasn't bad. Um, what did you learn from eye banking? Um, well, well, I, I need I need time to think about this. Uh, I guess it was a very competitive world uh, in in that scene, and you come across a lot of people who are very good at what they do, and and they deliver. You know, so when you're working under those uh, circumstances, it can be very stressful, uh, but. I guess they're good at what they do, uh, but it, it might be bad for the soul, you know. So after a while, I, I just quit because either it was too stressful or too boring. Uh, some, sometimes when you're like servicing your set of clients and telling them what to do about their investments, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's the same thing every day. So after a while, I actually felt bored. And I guess that decision was made for me on a silver platter during uh, 2008. Right? I was laid off in JP Morgan. Uh, so I thought, yeah, oh, okay, this is what it feels like to be laid off. And um, I guess, uh, it, it, you know, the I, I now have an opportunity to see where I want to go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you actually work for JP Morgan, so you work for the devil. <laughs> JP Morgan is out there with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and uh, those blue chip Wall Street firms that extract the pound of flesh, um, and they get very rich. So, so what, why don't you retire then? You, you kind of retire then and, and you know, just follow your dreams, whatever those dreams are. 
I mean, I, I wasn't that rich. <laughs> to, to, be, to be enough like you to, to just shake legs every day, right? No, obviously you want to do something. I think it would be very boring to just sit at home watching Netflix every day. Uh, I, I mean, this could be one of the reasons uh, that possessed me to start a startup anyway. Uh, because I, I just want, I just needed to do something. I think people need to do something. And then there was the time in radio. Um, that was interesting. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. We, it just so happened that you and I were on air as well together. I must say that is it was extremely fun whenever whenever I was on air with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What was the most fun about? Is the banter, I think. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's the other thing about uh, working in investment banking, especially when you work in um, the sell side or the buy side, right? Analyzing stocks and so on. You constantly spar with people about ideas, about concept, what to buy, what to sell. You know, uh, people say that if you're a good salesperson, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what where your convictions lie, whether it's buy or sell or hold or do nothing, you can still tell a story, right? Yeah. Uh, but what comes out of it are concepts and ideas, you know, and uh, so I think that shaped me very much in a way uh, to help me establish my worldview and think about things because you then get to distill very complicated concepts into, into just simple ideas. Yeah. Uh, and and so what was fun about radio uh, was that you you are you are looking at ideas right you're looking at concept on how it impacts uh, society impacts the you personally uh, it how it impacts businesses existentially right uh, so that I, I think that's very stimulating yeah. yeah well one of the hallmarks of the Julian Lockdown era in BFF was. <laughs> Was working. You, you stood for a lot of things, okay. Um, and one of the things that stuck out for me was the fact that you, 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 you had very strong views on the um, flaws in the financial management industry. Okay? You felt very strongly that uh, professional fund managers, by and large, don't do as well for their clients as they should in relation to their fees. Uh, I think one of the metrics that you always used to point out. Was that what seven or is it eight out of ten fund managers fail to be the index? So you might as well just buy the index and not pay fees, right? And you're a big proponent of low cost funds, right? Mm -hmm. um, are you still are you still one of those advocates? Oh yeah, I mean I started a, I started a company that uh, just tried to flog off these uh, ETFs, right? Uh, because they're so low cost. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I think what you say is generally uh, right. Uh, I think. Somebody actually told me that I, I was on this jihad, right? Which I thought was a fantastic way to describe what I was doing. I mean, I, I, I didn't even realize it myself, but uh, there it was. I, I, you know, I, I, like, I like playing games a lot, John. Uh, like, like chess, and I like watching tennis, and you, you watch a lot of football. Uh, is this poker one of those games? Oh, yeah, 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 you know. Um, and. I think when you watch football, yeah. you you have a general idea of basic strategy, right? Why is your favorite team, which I, I believe in, is Man U, right? That's right. Like, um, why are they why are they um, adopting this or that strategy, and how did they counter it uh, for 
against the other team. And I think it's the same when you manage your money personally, right? Uh, before you even go into the, the very uh, complicated uh, investing ideas, right? You, you must know what the basics are. Or, or at least you, you should be able to proxy that out uh, to people who know the basics. And that's where financial advisors will come in. They're going to say, hey, don't do this 10... 10-0 or I don't know what the football term is, right? This 10-0 or 11-0 formation, uh, it doesn't work, right? I, I saw, um, have you seen The Gentleman's Game on, on Netflix? I'm not sure. It's, it's... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the football one. And, and I, what my takeaway from that was that the strategy of football at the time was very different than right. today, right? They've improved on that a lot. And so it is with the financial world. You know, a lot of financial uh, theory has been established over the years to come up with a, a proper strategy, right? And, and this is the same with any game you play, whether it's tennis or chess or, or, or poker or even solitaire, right? <laughs> you play solitaire, you play to win, or, or even golf, right? It, it, I mean, golf, they say that you can challenge yourself with golf. You don't necessarily need an opponent to that. So there are basic strategies to this, and investment is no different, I think. Yeah, okay. So, so, so the, the investing philosophy that you are advocating is basically a hands-off strategy, right? You put your savings into low-cost uh, index funds, which are passive. As a passive, you don't, you don't manage them up or down, right? A good time to bank, you just leave it inside there, and it's a long-term thing. So, so is, 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 is this way still relevant? Because a lot of people say that, um, you know, there's been so much money put into ETFs, um, you know, it's no longer a thing, uh, it's probably too big for its own good, there's, there's too much surplus money in there, it's getting too big, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think the arguments again uh, against passive investing and ETF is that, um, it might become a version of uh, monopolistic practice. It might uh, discourage price discovery. The market may become less efficient. But uh, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think if we will even get there because uh, there would be a lot of very smart investors, active investors who are at the margins, who would make sure that uh, they exploit that if, if uh, ETFs indeed make the market uh, go that direction. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we have to worry. So uh, we go back to what are the basics of investing, right? Uh, the basics of investing is that you've got to have a highly diversified portfolio and you've got to make sure that you invest in assets that are, uh, as far as possible, not highly correlated to each other. So you'll see that the basic recommended portfolios would have equities and would have bonds so that these two uh, sort of work with each other to make sure that you get the most out of your portfolio, right? This is the thing that one has to know before you even go into stock picking, for example, right? And ETFs actually allow people to do that. Now, if people complain about ETFs, actually there's a lot more about the world that that you, you can complain about, right? Like actual uh, monopolistic practices in the world, corruption, you know, these are the things that actually affect the market as well, you know, so you've got to eradicate that. Whereas ETFs are something that, uh, especially the plain vanilla ones, 
uh, something that benefit people, especially the masses who up till recently did not have a chance to play this game. Yeah, um, and it's also good for those people who don't want to or don't have the ability to learn about the markets, right? Um, Absolutely. Of, right? Yes. Because the investment world is, is huge, right? Just to learn about the share market is, is a lifetime of learning already. And then you, then if you add the, the real estate market, if you add the, the bond market, if you add gold, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency commodities, commodities, and then like the non fungible tokens, and that's a, another mystery altogether. Yeah. Um, you, you cannot learn everything in the space of time. So, so, so for people who are time starved or don't have the ability or who can't grasp um, financial you know, ideas, ETFs is the easy way out. But the thing is, it takes a long time, right? You you can't you can't get your 15, 20% in a year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or in some cases, some people, they want 15, 20% in a day, right? Or 30% in a day. It's unsustainable, yeah. right? If you chase that kind of returns, you won't be able to sleep at night. So, uh, and it's through, throughout the years, right? My exploration had, has led me to this conclusion, right? What you want from your investments is really what you want out of life and what makes you happy, right? So if, you, if you're gonna spend your time in front of the com computer screen, uh, watching by the minute what your investments are doing, uh, you're going to end up a very, very miserable person. And you might not even achieve that 15 to 20% that you talk about, right? It's not, it's not a sustainable arrangement uh, to care for your investments. The way to care for your investments is that you, uh, you buy into a product. We are, we are price takers all over the world. We don't go into a supermarket trying to compare is hero market cheaper or village grocer cheaper, right? We are there, we accept the price. That's an ETF, right? Uh, and by doing that, we will then have time to focus on what we like doing as, as a career or as a hobby or something. So I, I think that, that is the philosophy, you know? It really boils down to whether you like doing investments or not. Like why, why, why is uh, investment knowledge prized over all other knowledge, right? Why, why not teaching? Why not reading? Why not making films? You can make a lot of money from films. Why not playing golf or football, right? You, you are a price taker because you switch on your TV and you watch Man U play with another team. But you, you don't force yourself to go and learn to be a football professional because, just because you can make a lot of money out of it. Or, 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 or a gaming, like a football gaming professional, right? Betting on one team against another. I, I'm sure you've done that once in a while. <laughs> <coughs> okay, so ETFs is the way forward for people who are time starved but want to get a return over the long term. Um, passiveness. Passi passiveness is part of the cycle of life. Uh, there, there, there is activeness, obviously, but activeness not necessarily in the way that we prize investment knowledge over all other knowledge. A the activeness comes from your life's work, right? And then the passiveness in investing or in consumption comes from everything else. You, you, you're a passive price taker when you buy stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you can buy an apple from Hero Market, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So if you can't buy an Apple product, uh, Apple phone from a hero market, by the way. But I know what you mean. Sorry, <laughs> bad joke. Bad joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 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 in, in terms of um, returns, right? If, if I were to start putting money in, in an ETF today, at say fifty years old, right? At fifty-five years old, what kind of return would I would I expect over a five-year period? Well, to be, to be honest, I, I'm even past ETFs right now. I, I don't like trading ETFs. I just go straight to a robo-advisor who does everything for you. I don't even have to think of buying and selling ETFs because it's a lot of work, right? Say you wanted to save uh, $1,000 and the combined price of the ETFs in the portfolio come up to $5,000. How are you going to do the math to actually fit your 1,000 into 5,000. And then you've got to wake up at the right time zone in the US, and then you've got to pay trading fees, and then you've got to convert your ringgit to US dollar. So even for me, ETFs is not a direct consumer product. The direct consumer product or service are robo-advisors because you, you get onto the robo-advisor, you log on, uh, and you, you tell them what you want to achieve, and that's it. Right? I, I saw your I saw your Facebook post about your frustrations with the banks. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. You don't need to do, you don't need to deal with all these. Um, uh, I would say thinking, right? The thinking behind all these investments, the dirty work behind investments. Yeah. You don't have to think about that if you use a robot advisor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was quite painful. Yeah. And th then I couldn't help thinking about people like you, you know, who who do, who do who do one thing really well and who can only get better every day from from here on in, right? And these banks are taking the piss. I'm not, of course, I'm not going to pay the banks, right? And it was for selfish reasons because I've got my savings in some of the banks, right? And if these guys are extinct in, in five, ten years' time, mm -hmm. then, you know, um, this is no good for me. It's no, no good for my portfolio, right? I want them to do all. I want them to compete with you. I want them to stand up and be counted. But they can't do it as fast as you, Jules. They can't, right? They're so bureaucratic, they're so stop stodgy, mm -hmm. and they're arrogant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I spoke to the girl, I called her up and I said, no, I gave her a piece of my mind. And then she said, Hey, Mr. Kua, I am only a worker. We gotta remind ourselves um, on you that know, one. Yeah. I was fucking away. <laughs> I said actually, so look, you know, you do a good job. At working level, they're fantastic. You can't change the system. Yeah. The system has to change, but you know, they're so arrogant. Actually, like I would love for you guys to disrupt them. I would certainly in the investment world. Yeah, we need people like you to have these fresh ideas and to keep them honest. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's very funny. You know, I, I try to avoid calling up the help lines of uh, you know the big service providers, right? Whether they're a phone company or a bank or uh, what have you, because it's always very frustrating. I mean, it's not the fault of the person who the the help. Uh, customer service officer is not their fault. It's just the fault of policy, which is very archaic, which you know, which yeah. which doesn't really fulfill the purpose of actually making the customer happy. Yeah. You know, so it's I them happy through their profits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I whenever I I'm angry and I do get very angry like you as well. I actually tell the other person like. Uh, just just be honest with them. Yeah. I say to them, actually, I'm extremely angry and I'm going to scream at you, but I know it's not your fault. I know it's your bank's fault. So this is what I'm feeding back to you, that uh, you you got to change. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. You do? Yeah. Well, anything you can think of that a uh, unit trust can do or a human financial advisor can do, it most probably already exists on an ETF. You know, whether if you want dividends, you buy a distributing ETF. If you, if you want to reinvest your dividends, you buy an accumulating ETF. Yeah. Okay. So that business of um, basically robo-advisory, it, it's, it sounds like it's tough, right? Because because I, I think the central issue is that there isn't enough money to save, right? You can see it with EPM, and what, 80% of Malaysian depositors have got less than you know, 75,000 ringgit at retirement age of 55, and there's not a lot of money. So all these avenues to put their, their money into, it's, it's a, it, it sounds like a thin market. It sounds like a thin market. Well, actually, it's a, it's a very big market, uh, and that is separate from whether the, uh, a robo-advisor startup would survive or not. But uh, the market, the addressable market is huge, because if you think about it, the unit trust industry has half a trillion ringgit, right? Managing half a trillion ringgit. Okay. EPF manages uh, one trillion ringgit, and okay. uh, every year a lot of money comes out of it to invest in unit trust. Um, and then you've got a CASA, which is about two to three trillion ringgit. So it, it's now come to a point where technology is in a position to mobilize a lot of this money with a very good user experience, right? Uh, to try to avoid those kind of ill feelings that you have when you deal with a bank, right? They have come to this point where it's not only financial product, it's everything else. It's, it's shopping, it's transportation, etc. So I think the addressable market is very big. But to survive as a startup, any startup at all, you know, not, not, let, not just a robo-advisor, I mean, it's a different ball game altogether. You, you, you need funding, you want to make sure that you target the, the right people, and that means uh, marketing spend, you know, all, all that sort of thing. So uh, it's like these two separate issues combined, you know, I would say. You know Robin Lee of Hello Home? Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, Robin Lee is a bit older than you and I, um, I think. He doesn't look it. He doesn't look it. <laughs> um, and I asked him this the same thing on my podcast with him a couple of years ago. I said, hey, Robin, you know, uh, you came out. He had a, he had a plump job at, at World Home Council, CFO that made big money in London, right? So, hey, you know, startup is a, is a young man's game, you know. Mm. You know startup is five to ten years of your life, if you're lucky, man. If you're lucky, in, in, in Asia, it's a five, seven to ten year cycle. In America, it's a different thing. In America, you can catch up in three years, right? It's not the same thing in Southeast Asia. Not everyone does catch up. Not catch everyone up. does. Yeah, yeah. So you only see the one percent. You, you only see the successful ones. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But the point is this, right? Um, it's, it's, where do you get the energy from? You just got to take things uh, one at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't you can't focus on everything all at once, and I think you it's important to have a good team. And right now, I, I would say that we do have one, uh, and I think that helps a lot. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess that's the only way to do it, and that's how the other guys do it. Yeah, mm. because um, I, I think the biggest spoke to White Cat on Special Way as well, and they took a number of years and a lot of money and a lot of money raised to even get to a brand. That uh, in Stella's on two feet in, in Malaysia. I think they were in Singapore as well, right? They started in Singapore. Yeah. Uh, they came to Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. 
So does that does that you know does that mean that you you um, spend uh, okay does that mean that you don't have as much of a mouth to the client or does that mean that you got more amount to the client? It can be both ways, right? Because they've broken the market in a way they they forged the path. Mm-hmm. But does that also make it harder for someone like you who is trying to be the next and the five more global advisors as well? Yeah, if you look at the unit trust industry, and uh, you've got to preface this with the fact that the unit trust industry is very, very expensive. Um, it's not performing to expectations. It's one of the bad guys, right? Yes, yes. yeah, and, yeah. And, and the user experience is not very nice, right? But if you, if you look at the robo advisory market, the unit trust have, have got about 100 players managing half a trillion ringgit and, and more. Uh, half a trillion is only the unit trust, yeah. Uh, I don't know about discretionary, whether that's included into that number. So, um, there are many, many players in the unit trust. Uh, whereas the robo advisor um, space, I mean, it's doing a good thing for people. Uh, it's 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 offering actually a good product to people. It's a licensed activity, and there is a lot of money out there uh, to be mobilized. So. Uh, I, I would say that it's still early days for robo advisors, and uh, I think they, they, we will be able to coexist with with one another. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. But when you put it in the context of unit trust and there's a hundred players with only half a trillion, that sounds like a lot, but actually it's not a lot. You know, it's not a lot. I mean, if you divide it's that half a trillion, or half a trillion, half a trillion, half a trillion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A big chunk of that is actually PNB. So uh, PNB, yes, yes. So, you, the the, the, yeah. the unit trust of, of PNB. So uh, I guess correct. Yes, uh, yeah. Okay. And then if you if you take that away, then uh, the the rest of the unit trust managers are managing the rest. You know. Yeah. So you have you have CIMB, Public Mutual, Afin Huang already at the top. You know, uh, managing tens. Almost, almost a hundred billion each. You can say, uh, or, or half a half a fifty billion each, right? Uh, so, the the space, even even a small uh, amount of assets, uh, can actually allow some of these very very small fund managers to survive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what's with the small? So does that does that mean actually for someone like you, you you probably don't need a lot of assets under management. To get to break even, right? We don't. We don't because uh, you know we have a headcount of five. Yeah. Uh, Public Mutual, where I worked before, uh, has has an investment headcount of forty or something like that, fifty. The last time I spoke to um, Yokim Yo- Hong, who is the CEO of Public Mutual, I think she she quoted a number that was like fifty people, hundred people in the investment department alone, uh, and and that. Makes the robot advisors very nimble, you know, yeah. uh, low cost. It, it's kind of like comparing AirAsia to uh, a full service airline. You know, yeah. I was going to say Malaysia Airlines, but uh, I thought I'll change that to a full service airline. But let's say AirAsia to SQ, right? Uh, the, it's a different product. The, the cost of SQ is probably uh, going to be higher, and rightly so. Whereas AirAsia, uh, actually, back in the day, they used to before the pandemic, right? Uh, they, they had policies to streamline all their costs. So um, I, I think this is a very apt analogy for robot advisors because they're able to offer the product on a very low cost structure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, your, your fees are borne by us. Yeah. 
If you, if you traded ETFs yourself, and then you traded ETFs on a, a robo-advisor like us, you don't, you don't pay any of the broking fees. You know, we, we do it for you. And the reason why we can do that for you is that uh, our, our broking fees are very, very low, uh, and we, we amass all the, the trades. You know? all, all, everybody uh, will, will send one trade to the broker to be traded. So like they didn't know you could trade ETFs. What? Like they didn't know you could trade ETFs. No, no, we trade on your behalf. Yeah, why you, didn't know you could even trade ETFs? Why not? I don't know. I just started. It's just listed on the stock market. You just buy it like a stock. So they have, they have an underlying price as well. That they rise and fall in price. Yeah, yeah. Just like a unit trust, you know, a unit trust would have an NAV which goes up and down. Uh, you, can you trade unit trust? You can, I presume. I mean, trading in the context of buying and selling. Right? I buy one day and then I, I sell the next day. Right? So, so the, the, I, I guess what I was trying to uh, get at is that uh, you need to establish the, the system that is related to the kind of product that you want to sell. And SQ was selling a very much different product to uh, um, AirAsia. And uh, we are selling a very different product to a unit trust. I mean, I give you another example, right? If you bought a unit trust, uh, the unit trust agent doesn't tell you how much you need to save for your retirement. Okay, but if you went onto a robot advisory platform, uh, they will ask you about what your lifestyle is going to be. They will inflate, uh, adjust that for inflation, and they will spit out a number for you to save. After you save, after after you uh, invest that amount, uh, that that amount will be invested for you, so that uh, but in twenty years time you have enough money for your retirement. You see, but the unit trust uh, people don't have that sort of um, structure for you unless you did it yourself or unless you went through a proper financial advisor to do that for you, to, to carve out a plan for you. Yeah. yeah, and how dynamic is that um, process? Because I know at Stash, um, what they do is they, they just take a snapshot of you and then they don't, it's not very dynamic. What do you mean by not uh, dynamic? You know, because circumstances change all the time, right? Yeah. Even minute to minute, day to day, today you could have cash flow problems, for example, if you run a small business, right? Or even a big business, right? Um, your needs might change from day to day, and therefore the way you look at investments and your risk profile might change day to day. So if, if, you, if like, for example, if a static uh, robo, they take a snapshot of you every year, once a year, it's not the most accurate. Actually, it's not, it's not that static because you can go in and change your inputs anytime. Yeah. So if you planned for, let's say, for argument's sake, a 5,000 ringgit a month retirement value, and, and you find that uh, you need less of that, uh, you can just go in the next day and edit your, your goal input, and the amounts would uh, adjust accordingly. Right? The required savings figure that, that is given to you is uh, just a recommended figure, right? You can save more or less than that. Now, the dynamism comes in when the portfolio rebalances for you. So, say uh, you have a 90-10 bond to equity split. Uh, if the equity prices run up, then the rebalancing would, would uh, sort of push some of that 
gains from equity back into bonds. And over the long term, that is uh, a good way to ensure that your portfolio is managed properly. Yeah. Like it results in higher returns over the long term. Yeah. Okay. Notwithstanding the fact that bond and equity markets don't behave like they used to, they, they don't. Yeah. They don't anymore, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another. Okay. So that's another thing, right? Um, but that makes me think of the time when I was invested in unit trust company, but where <laughs> I should triple X. Triple X, right? Yeah. This bugger, family friend, you know, okay, <laughs> he was basically just taking the piss. You know, I was in my mid early 30s at the time. Then, before I left to go and work in the UK, he gave me a bunch of forms, switching forms, you know, bond fund, equity fund, and he made me pre sign all these forms. As you were saying, so when equity prices run up, then you switch to bond funds, and when bond prices run up, then you switch back. Mm. Each time I switched, they charged. Each time they bought new funds, they charged. Every year, they charged, right? Uh, when you sell your funds, they charge, right? So I had the money in there for seven years, and I took it out of my EPM. You know EPM, you can basically yes. um, say, okay, I'm going to put aside this money for investments. Yeah. So I put aside a certain sum of money, and then my returns over that seven-year period were so bad that I called the agent, and I started calling her all kinds of names on the phone. <laughs> I really, I let it go, man. I really let it go. Because you know, I'm, I'm bloody. The theme, the theme of this is that you seem to be shouting at a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, okay, <fucking> now. <laughs> she started crying before no. Oh my goodness, Trump! Oh, you broke somebody's heart. Yeah. But then the family friend, you know, who then said, "Hey, why you went and scold my stuff like that?" Oh, I said, "Hey." Then I started smiling at him as well. Eight, oh. Just just curious, were the returns uh, above or below the EPF returns? They were shy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you the actual number. Okay. Um, I think I put in like 37,000 ringgit. Okay. 38,000. All at once or over many years? Uh, no, no. It was, I, I think it was just one, one month. One time, okay. Or two, one or two tranches only that. Yeah. And then it was in there between 2006. 2007-2008 I took out 2011-2012 4-5 years right I made 7,000 ringgit on the 37,000 okay so what is that um, that's maybe 20% over how many years over 5 years so it was below it was just shit it was just shit okay well to tell you honestly it wasn't that he uh, did it the wrong way, but he it did it the wrong way. He was completely unethical about it. Right, right. He just, right. but but you see, the idea of rebalancing is not a bad one. It's just that he did it to earn more money out of yeah, him. For yeah, for himself. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so basically, the problem with unit trust is that the agents are the one getting rich, not you. Yes. So, yes. so he works for a company which starts with P. P. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of them right now yeah, because yeah, of name uh, changes. Yes, yes. <laughs> P for free, free. <laughs> so, so since that day, I stopped, you know, talking to him. Okay. There's a lot of them around, you know. They, yeah. they basically take advantage of their relationship with the family. And then they just monetize stupid people, you know. You know, this, this, this is what I'm saying, right? Because uh, when we started this conversation about uh, all, all the perceived disadvantages of ETFs from the dissenters, of course. 
Uh, and, and usually those who disagree with just passive investing are active investors themselves, right? They, they disagree because their rice bowl is taken away. But there is this... But there is this bigger issue about uh, whose interests we are looking are we looking at, right? Right. In in your case, in your case, I I, I think it is so. I, I think in your case, it's a question of whose interest trumps whose, right? Obviously, the consumer's interest will trump those of corporate interest. Yeah. Right. A lot. A lot of people are saying like, uh, passive investing is bad because it will put a lot of people out of jobs. Um, term life insurance is bad because it will put agents out of jobs, and the agents will come up to you and scream bloody murder at you. Right. But look, this is really a very basic argument. It's about the interests of consumers versus corporate interests versus a smaller slice of the interests. Like, who are you trying to protect, right? And, and this is the big question that we're facing today. And I, I think that uh, technology is clarifying a lot of these questions. The problem is um, a lot of companies that come up, they, they, they come up originally with a little guy in mind, okay? And I'm going to give a, 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 a as an example. AirAsia came up back in the day when they wanted to give everybody a chance to, you know, take air travel, right? But then something happened along the way, and then now they put their interests above the travelers. Because the price of those tickets are crazy. They are almost as expensive as the full fare. And the prices are you Are you comparing it to Malaysia Airlines? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because Malaysia Airlines, right, for all its problems, is is unabashedly a full fare airline. They will say to you, "We charge you this much money because we're going to give you a full service." Right? Airasia doesn't do that. No, I I think that. I I think that Airasia is competitive. Sorry, I think that Airasia is competitive uh, regionally um, because the the. The prices are certainly, I mean, if you travel to Singapore to uh, South, anywhere in Southeast Asia or, or even to Australia, the, the pricing is actually competitive, I find. But in Malaysia, we have the problem of Malaysia Airlines, which is really subsidized by the government of Malaysia, which is really the people of Malaysia, right? So, uh, you, I mean, we have talked enough on the air about about how uh, Malaysia Airlines was bleeding tens of billions of ringgit, right? And uh, that could that have gone into the cheapness of the ticket that Malaysia Airlines offered you? Okay, but that's another discussion, right? The relative business models of the two airlines is, is not the thing. Specifically, I'm talking about AirAsia and about how new companies, AirAsia is not new anymore. AirAsia, you know, is now 20 years old, give or take. But, but they started with a little guy in mind. But then along the way, they forgot about the little guy and started to think about themselves. It's a little bit like politicians, right? When, when eager politicians start up in their career, they think about the uh, electorate. Yeah. Then, and then along the way, they get corrupted by the machine. I don't see it though, Tua. I, I, I mean, I haven't done extensive study on this, but I, I think it's fair to say that if you went... AirAsia charges that no frills uh, uh, seat, like that's that ticket. 
but but if you wanted to uh, let's say add on luggage or if you wanted that nasilama or you wanted that front row of seat on the thing you therefore paid for it I, I think that's a good model to have I mean it, it's kind of like a crew because a crew charges uh, an admin fee of 10 ringgit to open your account right uh, and thankfully our customers right now are very supportive they, they don't mind paying that our fees are lower uh, after paying that 10 ringgit, our fees are actually lower. And also, we, we charge a sort of a transaction fee when you want to uh, deposit online. Like you, you want your investment to go through instantaneously. Uh, that, that will cost you one ringgit because we, we just can't afford to pay that uh, transfer fee. You know? So what we do is we, we, I, we say to you, you can either pay that one ringgit fee to transfer or you can transfer free of charge uh, directly online transfer from your bank account. If you use a payment gateway, uh, then you you bear that one ringgit. Right? We we can't bear that one. There's no way we can afford bearing that one ringgit. I mean, granted, we are nowhere near Stash Away right now. If we get the funding, the kind of funding that Stash Away gets, maybe we can absorb that kind of fee, right? But this this is kind of like to me, as I said, no ex no analysis, no extensive study done. It's it's kind of like what AirAsia is doing without charging for, uh, the Nasilamak and without charging the extra luggage, they actually would not be able to be in a position to, to charge that, give you a lower basic fare, you know. But then, I know what you mean because I have bought tickets from Malaysia Airlines, which includes everything. Yeah. Then, a lot of times it's cheaper than um, AirAsia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who, why, how is that happening? You see, the, someone who has very deep pockets, it's like funding Malaysia Airlines to the extent that they can give you that ticket, but at the end of the day, the business model is failing anyway. You know, I think at heart, I'm a bloody socialist. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful of what you want. Be careful of what you ask I know, for. I know, that's inherent danger being a socialist. Um, because I, I think in, in, I think about business in, in, in good and bad terms, right? Yeah. Whether they're good for people or bad for people. And business inherently has to make a choice between who it's being good to. Is it being good to shareholders or is it being good to the people? And the problem is business is, is hypocritical, right? Business starts about saying, oh, I'm going to be good for you and give you all these benefits. But then at the end of the day, they're not telling the truth because what they're being good for is actually their own selves and their own people. And a lot of businesses who start up, young businesses, they have those good intentions, but along the way, uh, and Air Asia may be a good example or a bad example, but they, they lose sight of their, this one, you know, their goals. So that's why like John Bolden and Vanguard, where right? he kept true to his, its ideals for well over 70, 80 years. Mm -hmm. And till today, they're still very accessible to everybody. They charge what, 0. how about 2%, 0. in some cases, free, right? Yeah. In some cases, near as nothing. Um, and they kept the ideals. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I agree with you. I think uh, capitalism has failed in a lot of ways because capitalism is not taking care of the environment. It's not taking care of inequality that's happening around the world. Uh, it's just making wealth beyond imagination for just a handful of people yeah. whose wealth in uh, uh, collectively that this handful of people equal to half of the, the rest of the world, right? So. It has failed in a, a number of ways, but then again, without capitalism, where would you find the technology? 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I'd rather capitalism than communism, and uh, and all the inherent risks in that. Okay. So so for, so so is Julian right? Um, you've got. Let's just not let's not out your age, lah. Okay. But let's just say that we, every one of us is a finite lifespan, right? We do. Let's yeah, of course. Let's just say of we course. Do, right? Yeah. Um, what's the big idea? What's the big picture for you? I just want to be happy. <laughs> Is that is that too woo woo? Is that is that too out there? <laughs> what is happiness? I think happiness is being able to um, have time uh, to to spend with friends and family, to uh, to live with dignity. I mean, not not to be out on the streets. Um, and I don't think you need a lot of money for that. Yeah. You see, that's the problem, Jules. You see, that's the problem. Every time I ask people what happiness means, right? They almost always never say. They, they almost always never have a money element of that. But yeah. everybody is working their ass off. Yeah, because because there there is just a disconnect between what they do and what they want. Yeah, 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 yeah. So actually, you don't need the money. Let's just, let's just be honest, lah. Right? If if, really, <laughs> if if you really really want to chase happiness, and you know in in reality that. You don't need a lot of money. I need the money because my wife wants to buy handbags and she wants to travel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, well, yeah, I, I guess it's still a journey to yeah. establish what we want philosophically. So right? you try to prove your... In a way, you're, you're doing what you believe in. Actually, actually, I could be as lost as the next guy, you know. Um, I think I'm just doing what feels right with me at the moment. Uh, so it has, it has led me to where I am today. I, I was just going to say that the other day I had an um, interview on the evening edition of, of BFM with Lee Chui Lin and um, basically the EE team. And the guest that came after me, uh, it, was, it was International Happiness Day, right? Okay. Uh, uh, and the guest that came after me, I listened to the podcast after that. She said, um, this chase for happiness is overrated, actually. She's, she's a professional psychologist, I think. She said, the chase for happiness is actually overrated. Uh, we shouldn't put too much effort in that. But we should actually learn to go through our sufferings, you know, to, uh, to not push them away and to face them. I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing here. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and then that other thing that she said that really struck me is um, actually the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is just the lack of depression, is the absence of depression, you know. And I, I think that's, that's quite elegant uh, uh, in very many ways um, because if we, I feel that if we had this knowledge, all that stress that comes out of um, an idea of us, you know, we, we chase things because we have an idea of us. Uh, we need to drive a big car, we need to be in a big house, we need to send our children to the best schools. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, we need to, we need to um, wear the nicest clothes and travel five star all the way, right? We want to do that, you know, that is an idea. And not only that, there are also intangible things, right? We need to be in um, the correct company to, to have the right friends and, and all that. That's bollocks, man. So, so that... All that was just, just bollocks. But we all, we all have an idea of, of ourselves, who we want to be, right? And we chase that idea 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why that takes us sometimes. You know. Um, yeah. So I struggle with that sometimes. But do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have this impression that you're one of the more salted people upstairs. Not really, not really. Sure? I'm, I'm very, very unsalted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very, very unsalted. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I struggle with it because I, I ask myself, am I really that person? You know, do I, do I really want to be that person? And, and obviously, we live in a society where sometimes it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole, right? Yeah. We want certain things, but society might not be like that, might not expect that out of you. Wow, okay, okay. I, well, I guess then that would put you, know, you and I in the same boat because I, I think I have a general belief of what I should be, right? But we all have these conflicts in our head, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, I for think sure. Inherently, I, I know inherently that you don't need a lot of money to survive, but you don't. You, yeah. you don't. You need some. You need some. You know a lot. Right? Yeah. I think in America they did studies. I think seventy thousand US dollars a year is is enough. And beyond this, apparently that study is already uh, debunked. Updated, yeah. Debunked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you don't you don't need to chase to be a billionaire. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh yeah, I, I saw your your posting on LinkedIn about you know those um. Those dividends, right? Yes. Specifically talking of what, what what does one man do with half a billion ringgit of dividends? Yeah, actually, it's more than half. It's, it's almost a billion ringgit. Yeah, because yeah. right, he owns a quarter. And I might have misread that. You know, I think what the H says is that this is these are his dividends for that particular quarter. So for the quarter. So God forbid, like the whole year he's getting a few billion, right? But. Yeah. What's, there's no difference, right? After a certain level, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't spend it all. You can't. What do you do with it, right? You got a really hard stiffy. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> I'll tell you what to do with yeah, it. Yeah, fund the hundred uh, startups, including the crew. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, it's been fun. As usual, it's fun talking to you. You know, I really wanted to do podcasts which are like three, four hours long, you know, like Joe Rogan. Right. But I was told that people only listen more than 20 minutes, so we've really gone for like an hour already. I feel like we're going for about half That That is like what I just said about the our existential problem of what we want versus what society wants, right? <laughs> so this is good? Life is good? Yeah, not yeah. bad, not bad. Yeah. And for you? Yeah, life is good. Like, okay. I haven't done anything the whole week, actually. Right, right, right. If I was actually today is what they did Wednesday, right? Hey, we are we are off. You know, right? still <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous, man. <laughs> so Monday, Monday I didn't do anything. Monday I was like, oh fuck, I woke up morning. You cancelled your interview with me on Monday. <laughs> yeah, no, because I took I took my son's. Hey, what, what, uh, how did that go? Um. He, he got it. He got the school. Good, good, good. But you see, it's, it's free paying, you know. Right. It's free paying. So I think by last day, they see. So I, I used to have real problems with like private schools and all that. And, mm. um, you know, it's a long discussion. But, but um, I mean, the taxes that you pay in this country should warrant you a decent education, but you don't, right? Yeah. And I just want to say about the local school system now. My son is at a local school, right? Yeah. And you can tell that you can put your finger on why there's a huge wealth divide and a huge social divide in this country. 
Because the kids that can only go to local school have the worst experience. Um, the teachers didn't come. Yep. No excuse. Um, any complaints by the parents fall on deaf ears. There's no accountability. Yeah. And the teaching quality alone in itself is, is hit and miss. There are some teachers who care and some teachers who don't care. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you can imagine, right, that the masses who can't afford private school or international school will just have their kids left behind. But the kids who go to private school, so then over the long term, extrapolated over the whole education of like, I don't know, 7 to 21, that's 15 years, right? Yep. They come out, and that's why they become grand drivers. Yeah. That's why they become dispatch clerks because they've just had the worst experience and they, they don't know any better. So we are truly creating a society of haves and haves, have not, yes, yeah, yes, intentionally. Yes, yeah. yes. So I love the fact that what you're doing is very much a, a democratization of the investment mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Okay? In the past, it only if you had big money, you know, people like you and Hello Gold, I love the fact that Hello Gold, you can buy gold for literally one ringgit. Yep. You know, I love the fact that you're saying, okay, anybody, you know, I think you can go down to like five, ten ringgit per. You can, per, yeah. You can, yeah. right? And you get a whole world. I also wouldn't mind accepting your millions, so. I, I don't have. I, I, I welcome you with open doors and arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I should try it too. I, I, put, I put a little bit of money in stash. Yeah, okay. Um, it's okay, you know, it's okay. Just don't look at it. Yeah, just go go do your thing, you know. Go go riding around in your moped and <laughs> <laughs> don't look at your investments until it's time. Words of wisdom, um, to close off the chat, please. Thank you very much. Thanks for let's let's do this again. No, no. Um, okay, before we go, I, I think we can do a few more of these down the line, right? Yeah. But three pieces of advice you would give to the young investor. What would they be? Uh, the first one would be definitely focus on doing your job well. Uh, don't, don't think about learning investments, just, just do your job well. Uh, the second one is, well, you're, you're really putting me on the spot, you know, they didn't tell me that this was, this was going to be like a breakfast grill. Um, I guess focus on relationships, those are, those are very important. Uh, they have good long-term relationships. Three, yeah. I guess the third one would be enjoy yourself. So those have all got relationships with advice on investments. What's that? So I, I asked for three three advices, three pieces of advice for the young investor. Oh, for investor, not not three general no. investments. No, no, no. Three investments, three pieces of investment advice you give to the young person. I, I think start early, very much uh, allow the um, magic of compounding to work for you. So wh whatever you can save, just uh, start that very early. Um, my, my second one is, is still the same, no need to learn how to invest. And you know, uh, the, the investment thing is done. People have sorted it out, just like people have sorted out the insurance idea for you, uh, the buying vegetable from the mini market for you, buying a car, you don't need to go out of your way to learn how to trade Forex or how to invest in stocks or anything like that because that's done. That, that will actually take care of your investments for you. Uh, and um, the third would be... I don't know. Uh, 
Two ten. Just two ten. Those are very good already. Yeah. The second one is interesting because it puts you in the minority already. Everybody tells you to learn about investing. Yeah. Yeah, they do, they do. Yeah, but if you learn about investment, investing, you can't learn other things because investing is a full time job. If you don't go full time in investing, uh, you will you will fail. You will lose money. Yeah. Right. If you are doing it as a hobby, not many people can make money. You know, a, f- a few days ago when the SC annual report came out, and during the launch of the annual report, the SC chairman said. Uh, to not do formal investing to the young ones, right? Now, I would go one step further and I would just say, don't, don't do any investing yourself. Mm-hmm. And my proposal to actually the Securities Commission is to reveal, collect and reveal all data on retail trading. They can do this very easily because they, they can go to the stockbrokers, make them actually submit returns of all their accounts and all this data can be data mined, can be mined according to age groups, according to holding period, according to average returns, then we we will be able to see whether there are any benefits at all in uh, trading on your own, right? Empirically, empirically see whether there are any benefits at all. So don't... Don't take my word for it. Let, let's see some data, right? Let's see, let's see what it is in action. Uh, I think you'll find that there'll be like maybe 1% to 3% of retail traders who make yeah. a shitload of money, and then there are 97% of them who, who just lose their pants. And, and that would be a total waste of time for those people, time which I guess this is the third piece of advice, you know, you got to really invest in yourself because investing in yourself doesn't require any financial capital. It's just sweat capital, right? Yeah. But investing in financial assets as a form of living requires financial capital. And what if you lose that capital? You you lose your living. Yeah. That's gambling. It's been an honor, my friend. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And it's been a blast. (laughs) Let's do this again. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you.